Welcome to Purdue Crop Chat, a regular podcast from Hoosier Ag Today and the Purdue University Extension Service. Featuring Purdue Extension Corn Specialist Dr. Dan Quinn and Purdue Soil Fertility Specialist Dr. Jim Camberato. This is episode 26 and we'll have an update on corn harvest and dive further into fertilizer and the price explosion. Probably if we get more and more delayed we're going to see folks maybe wait until the ground freezes um, so they can get there and get their corn out after we get frozen ground but that is a balancing act. In general it looks like the fertilizer price has doubled from last year. Now on Purdue Crop Chat here's your host who's your ag today's Eric Pfeiffer. Welcome into the Purdue Crop Chat podcast I'm Eric Pfeiffer and I'm joined by Dan Quinn Purdue Extension Corn Specialist. Hey Dan how's it going? Good Eric how are you? I'm doing all right and uh, no Sean today he had to bail on us so, so today you can badmouth beans all you want with no repercussions. Great. So, Great. So everything's good to go. Hey, let's, let's talk about harvest here. We're doing this podcast. We're recording it on Monday morning, so we don't have the updated harvest numbers from USDA yet. Those will come out later on this afternoon, but I can't imagine that a whole lot got done last week or the week prior since we last spoke. Uh, it's just been too darn wet. Yeah, that's been the issue for a lot of farmers. Um, I think a little bit of harvest got done later last week. Uh, we actually did some harvest um, here at the Purdue Acre Farm here um, last week, so they were able to get one trial out. But things have really slowed down um, significantly because of the rain. Um, I think that's something that you know a lot of farmers are kind of chopping at the bit to get their crops out, and they just can't. Um, so I think kind of watching those crops and, and seeing what's going to happen uh, moving forward and hopefully we can get some dry weather. Yeah, here uh, in northern Indiana I'm hearing reports of over two inches consistently here over the weekend of what we got uh, in the way of rain. From from a corn standpoint, all of this additional rain, does it cause any additional problems with harvest? The main thing we're just watching is, is really the integrity of the plant. And you start losing the integrity of the plant as we get later and later in the harvest um, or later and later into the calendar year. Where if we get a significant storm or significant wind damage coming through where we end up losing or having a lot of that crop fall down. I've seen quite a few reports in different areas in the state where farmers had their corn basically lay flat. Um, so it becomes an issue as we get later and later. You think about harvest losses, you know, Curdle shattering, eardrop, you know, losing that integrity of the plant where it just gets more and more difficult of maybe harvesting that crop as we get later and later in the season. And it's it's a tightrope that these farmers walk because it has been so wet. Yeah. But we've got great corn yields out there. Mm-hmm. We've got pretty darn good soybean yields out there. Yeah. At what point do you make that decision of <laughs> I need to go in there and get it, even if I am going to cause some compaction issues. I mean, yeah, that's that's where, where do you toe the line here? <laughs> that's the balancing act, I think, for us standpoint from agronomists is always, you know, maybe hold off because of compaction issues or be cognizant of those compaction issues. But you do have that side where you just you just have to get it out. Um, one thing with corn too, you know, probably if we get more and more delayed, we're going to see folks maybe wait until the ground freezes. Um, so they can get there and get their corn out after we get frozen ground. But that is a balancing act that you have to, you know, be, you know, cognizant of or paying attention to whether or not you are causing severe compaction with this equipment out there. But with the good crop that we've had, we probably need to get that out too. Yeah, it is certainly a balancing act. 
Now, on our last Purdue Crop Chat podcast, we discussed uh, some shortages and some increased prices of okay. fertilizer and herbicides, and I mean, it, it's kind of hitting everywhere in the supply chain here. So we wanted to bring in a special guest today and talk about some things here on the podcast. So I want to welcome in Jim Camberato, Purdue Extension Soil Fertility Specialist, right? Did I get that right? Correct. Okay, very good, Jim. It's it's on the mind of just about every farmer. They're going in when they're able to harvest. They're sitting there in the combine and they're thinking about, oh goodness, next year we've already heard about prices just skyrocketing on inputs, fertilizer in particular. What are you hearing as far as fertilizer is concerned? Well, in general, it looks like the fertilizer price has doubled from last year, and uh, there uh, is a very low supply or no supply or no promised supply of liquid nitrogen. And so people are really want, wondering what they're gonna do. And we heard a lot of people that are thinking about going back to anhydrous uh, because uh, you can get a price on anhydrous and it is uh, available. And so folks would start putting that out now, soon, presumably, hopefully not right now and uh, maybe in the spring as well. So, I mean, you, you talk about it doubling. I, I mean, uh, from a farmer's budget standpoint, this is, this is kind of disastrous, right? Well, fertilizer costs are about a third of the crop budget under nor normal situation. And so now the prices are doubling. If, if everything else stayed the same, it would become close to two thirds of the total cost of production. So it is a it is a big deal. It'll have a big impact on profits. So so Jim, you mentioned you know anhydrous. Um, a lot of folks maybe haven't used it in a while and are going back to it. Um, is there things that you know that stand out to you of things that farmers maybe who haven't used it in a while need to pay attention to or use it smartly uh, moving this yeah. especially this fall. So the, the first thing is definitely the safety. And if you've never used anhydrous before, or if it's been a long time, or you have new people that are helping you, you, you want to review all the, the, the safety precautions that you need to take to protect yourself and your workers. Um, Fred Whitford has a really nice publication on anhydrous ammonia handling, transportation safety uh, that folks can download for free online. Uh, and then agronomically, um, we uh, talk about uh, not applying it south of Indianapolis, basically. So it really shouldn't be an option there because the winters are too warm and the potential for loss is too great. And then north of Indianapolis, uh, our general rule of thumb is to wait till soil temperatures at four inches uh, get below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. And you know we aren't there now, it just, just turned cool last week and soil temperatures are still above that. Um, so even if uh, it's available and you can purchase it, you really need to hold off until temperatures get below 50 and are progressing to freezing. Um, and then there's two situations we, we worry about just from the application standpoint. One is if it's too dry, we don't need to worry about that and closing the application slit. And the other is when it's really excessively wet. Uh, the compaction that's caused is one thing, but again, it's also difficult to close the application slit 
when the soil's really wet, and uh, that ammonia will just volatilize into the to the air, and uh, you could lose easily 15, 25 percent or more, depending on how poorly the application slit or slot is is closed. So once the soils get dry enough to get a equipment out there, you want to make sure that you can close close it up so you don't lose ammonia to the air. Sure. So I guess the next question, so, you know, north of Indianapolis folks have, may have the opportunity to use anhydrous. What about, you know, the folks in the southern part of the state? Is there kind of, from a nitrogen standpoint, things that, you know, maybe folks, how dare I say it, maybe need to, I should say this very lightly, plant soybeans next yeah. year. Um, but is there different Never. things <laughs> um, different things that they should be paying attention to, especially in the southern part yeah. of the state where maybe they don't have the opportunity to, to capitalize on some anhydrous? Yeah, so I, I did focus on anhydrous in the fall. Mm-hmm. And, and you can utilize it in the spring. And, of course, mm-hmm. south of Indy, it'd be a fine fertilizer in the spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, or even side dress, um, so that would be uh, be an option. Apparently, you know, fertilizer folks tell us that might be their only option is to use anhydrous. Otherwise, um, you know, poultry manure, swine manure. Um, you know, either it's too late to plant any legumes or anything like that. Yeah. So it might be uh, soybeans or or just let it grow up in weeds. So. Well, and, and I've heard this, that there's growing concern about corn next year and mm-hmm. a lot less acres because of this issue. Are you hearing yeah. that same thing? Yeah, I'm hearing the same thing. I think if folks just can't get liquid nitrogen <laughs> next year and the uncertainty is there and the price is double, um, I think you're probably going to see a lot of folks maybe migrate to putting soybeans in um, their ground instead. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays into the prices next year and how that impacts corn across the board, but that is something I'm hearing as yeah. well. Yeah. And contrary to what you hear sometimes, uh, nitrogen is really necessary. Um, yeah. We've done a lot of experiments with, we've always used a little bit of starter in our experiments. We haven't had true zeros. But our estimate of yield without nitrogen uh, for soils in Indiana would be anywhere from maybe 30 or 40 bushels to the acre to 150 bushels to the acre. And so, and most of our soils are towards the middle or, or lower end of that scale. So it's not, it's not something we can do, do without. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about this before that yields are great this year yields are up there and that's taking a lot of the nutrients out of the soil they need replaced so maybe next year more than others it's probably even more important right well um yeah so on the other nutrients phosphorus and potassium um if you're just removing grain the and you have adequate soil test levels of those two nutrients uh, the depletion in any one year is not great now, if you're deficient or on the borderline, yes, then you definitely need to replace those nutrients. Um, but, you know, if, if you have adequate to above adequate levels, then that fertilization is not necessary in the coming year. And that's what we've been telling folks. You, got, uh, you hopefully have good soil test reports, and you can uh, prior to- prioritize your fields, the ones that are above adequate, 
you can skip those. You know, the ones that are in the adequate range, if you need to, you can skip those as well. And then the ones you really need to think about, concentrate on, are the ones that have insufficient soil test levels. And make sure those are the ones where you put phosphorus and potassium if it's called for. Because that, that's really in our, in our system, that's the only place you expect to get a response in that growing season. And, um, and soil test levels will drop, but fairly slowly. And we estimate that for every uh, 10 or 20 pounds of P205 or K2O that's removed from the soil, that uh, soil tests will only drop, drop a part per million. So if you're talking about um, 200 bushel corn, that'll remove about 70 pounds of P205, and you might see a three or four part per million decrease in phosphorus. So that's where soil testing is very helpful to know, you know, am I in danger of dropping my soil test into a, a responsive range, or do I have plenty there and I can take the, use that flexibility this year to avoid the high prices or because it's too wet to get out and without causing a lot of compaction. Um, or I can wait and see what happens in the spring if the prices come down. We have good, uh, good weather for making applications. Yeah, so I'd say maybe this year and maybe even, it's always important, but maybe more so important this year because not only nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium prices are, are through the roof too. So maybe this year is even more so important to, to soil test your field so you know where you are in these fields so you can prioritize some of these things. Yeah, yeah. The, before I came here today, I, I checked on the prices that we gathered up last week, and mm -hmm. all of them are twice what they were last year, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. So mm -hmm. um, it makes it very difficult, as you noted earlier, on, on profits, even though you got a good, a good yield and the, the prices are expected to be pretty good for the commodities. Uh, when you take a third of your budget cost and double it, just makes it difficult to make a profit yeah. yeah what what is the explanation for all of this why are these prices doubling uh, one of the fertilizer folks told me it's uh, supply and transportation and all of the above so uh, I'm not quite sure uh, exactly how it's explained I think it's you look at not only fertilizer, but it's it's items that you find in the grocery store. You know, it's supply chain issues that we've had that have kind of rippled across the entire world. You know, it's not just this country. Um, you know, I heard a report that a lot of fo you know heavy phosphate suppliers is China, and you know they're having issues getting that phosphate out of their country. Um, so it's just you know the factor in the pandemic and just the supply chain issues and how this ripple effects happening. I mean, you even see it in the grocery store with some items that you'd normally always gotten at the grocery store. You can't find them. And so I think it's kind of tied into it's, it's just a lot of different factors. This is Purdue Crop Chat with Purdue's Dan Quinn, Jim Camberato, and Who's Your Ag Today host, Eric Pfeiffer. Jim, as we continue here through harvest and, uh, you know, people think about fall applications and everything, what what are some tips you have from a soil fertility standpoint that folks really need to keep in mind? Well, uh, 
definitely use your soil test to your advantage. A lot of folks have soil tests, but they don't necessarily follow any recommendations. Uh, so if you've, if you've done a, a recent soil test or you need to do some soil testing, use that as a guide for phosphorus and potassium. Uh, if you are going to use anhydrous in the spring, I mean in the fall, wait as long as you can until soils get fit for traffic and cold so that you um, have less of a chance of losing that nitrogen in the spring. Um, and then if you can, can utilize the anhydrous in the spring instead of the fall, that's always a better decision from an agronomic standpoint because the potential for loss is much less. Um, if, uh, if, if you're counting on UAN, try to lock in some supply um, because again, as I mentioned earlier, in most of Indiana, you can't grow corn without a good deal of nitrogen. So Jim, I guess another question I have is that, you know, is there ways looking forward to next growing season that maybe you can be a little more efficient on how you apply some of these nutrients? You think about phosphorus, it's really high. You know, guys, you know, maybe I don't want to put MAP or DAP, you know, broadcasted across the field. Maybe I could move to 1034 on the starter. Is there different ways that you can look at P and K or nitrogen and, and maybe back down the amount you apply and be, maybe be a little more efficient in how you right. apply it? Yeah, so, so um, uh, if, if uh, okay, I'll answer that question first, but I wanted <laughs> to go back to nitrogen because you reminded me of something, so I'll do that second. Yeah, so if you need some phosphorus, uh, we don't actually adjust our, our application rate based on banding versus broadcast because we found that the quantity is uh, usually uh, more important. And unless you're very low, and then we suggest banding some of it and broadcasting the rest. Uh, looking at the prices that we have gotten for MAPDAP and and 1034O, um, the 1034O is very competitive in price with MAP and DAP, uh, particularly when you consider that it's likely that with fall applied MAP or DAP, you're gonna lose the nitrogen. And so then you can, uh, with 1034O and a starter in the spring, you can take advantage of that nitrogen, you can count its value, and then you're, you can precisely place your phosphorus. So. Yeah. If I was going to put 40 pounds of P205 and uh, the price uh, per pound of P205 was the same with 1034O versus MAP or DAP, I'd use 1034O in the starter. And okay. so that would be one, one way to, to potentially get more bang for your buck. Um, the, the rates of application when you're deficient uh, are tricky because that's where you can lose yield and that's the expensive mistake. Uh, and so they would start off around crop removal if you were just below the critical level. And then we, we ramp them up in the build-up approach, but at least with potassium, we found that those recommendations that were intended to um, satisfy the crop demand, uh, replace crop removal, and build the soil up are similar to what's needed to maximize your profit. Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't, if soils are deficient, I wouldn't really cut back very much there. Yeah. With respect to nitrogen, um, we actually just 
sent out our nitrogen management guidelines on Friday, and we expanded um, the ranges that we present to uh, encompass these higher prices. Because uh, with nitrogen, we suggest, due to the economics, that the rate be adjusted based on the price of nitrogen and the price of corn. And so with projected prices on nitrogen of 70 cents to a dollar a pound, the recommendations uh, drop 20 to 40 pounds per acre less yeah. than with more normal prices. And so we'd suggest that growers look at those charts and consider using a lower rate of nitrogen. Doesn't do any good to produce a bushel of corn that you know costs you six dollars and fifty cents to make, and you're only getting five dollars for it. Sure. And that's that's what we base our our, our nitrogen recommendations on, is that uh, balance between the cost of the fertilizer and the value of the grain. Now we've touched on a couple of things. You know, we've talked about some of your publications that you've put out there and those guidelines. Where can folks find this information? Um, I think you know Purdue has a pests and crop newsletter um, the, through the entomology department, but also my website. So I'll give a plug for my website. Uh, the Colonel Info is my website, and we I've posted every article that Jim has written on those websites. Um, just right on the home page, they're right there. Um, and then we also update the nitrogen guidelines. So there's articles on hydrus, there's article that Jim wrote on phosphorus and potassium fertilizer, and then also updated the nitrogen guidelines to factor in the higher prices. So, Gentlemen, this has been uh, an interesting conversation, and it's not going to end anytime soon because it's, it's on the mind of, of every farmer out there, yeah. these prices and what they're doing. So we're going to try to stay up to date on, on these and, um, I mean, any other tips you can pass along, I mean, bring them my way because uh, these farmers are thinking about it. So um, it's it's just, it's it's rough. It's rough for them. Yeah, I think one thing that I've been hearing a lot of folks talk about and fertilizer people, you know, just have conversations with your dealers. You know, I think maybe some folks maybe in the past have waited till the spring or later in the season to have these conversations, but make sure you're having them now. Um, so you understand what their supply is, what they're able to get, and what their prices are, so you can make decisions for next year. And two is, you know, I think we kind of talked about this a little bit, is soil sampler fields. I think maybe even more so this year, see where those levels are so maybe you can prioritize certain fields and kind of get an idea of maybe where you can save on some P&K fertilizers next year. Jim, thank you for joining us today on the Purdue Crop Chat podcast. Uh, it was very insightful, and, you know, we've <laughs> – We've got a lot of work to do here between uh, you know now and, and next season to uh, really figure some of these things out fully because I think there's still some unknowns out there. Yes. Yeah, well, thank you for having me and be happy to uh, come on again as things change in the future. Very good. Dan, any final thoughts here as we wrap up the podcast today? No, I think final thoughts is hopefully we can shut off some of this rain um, oh, goodness. <laughs> and Let's get hope. this crop out of the ground because I think there's still a lot of really good corn and I'll say this in place of Sean, there's still a lot of good beans out there too that need to come out. Um, but be aware of compaction, but I do understand that you need to get it out. And um, so hopefully the rain shuts off. Very good. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on the Purdue Crop Chat Podcast. We will do it again soon. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. 
This has been Purdue Crop Chat, a regular series featuring Purdue Extensions, Dr. Sean Castile and Dr. Dan Quinn. In Sean's absence, our thanks to Purdue's Dr. Jim Camberato. Thank you for joining us for Purdue Crop Chat today, moderated by Eric Pfeiffer, and a service of Purdue University Extension and Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's most listened to farm radio network. 